Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. I'm Preston Sharp. Today, we are looking at our epistle reading for the week, and that comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Here we see a bunch of ethical exhortations. And the first few verses seem to be inclined towards like Paul saying, this is how we're to live together as the church. This is how we're to love one another. And then the rest of the verses seem to be like our posture towards the wider world. But I don't know that it's helpful to create too strong of a separation here. The early church believed that how we live together in Christian community is to be a microcosm of how we live in the wider world. This is a description of how to live life in Christ, or maybe more particularly, what it looks like when someone lives life in Christ. So Paul says, love must be genuine. The idea here is love is not something one pretends. It must be real. The term that he uses, mutual affection, is literally brotherly love. The Greek word is Philadelphia. (laughs) So the church is a family. So the love that we express towards one another in the church ought to be that love that is shown in the best human families. The same idea is found in the word devoted. Paul calls the church to practice hospitality. Hospitality was so central to the early church, both inside the church and outside the church. My dear friend, Father David Harvey, shared with a few of us this week uh, that he always gets really excited. He's a biblical scholar in the New Testament and gets really excited anytime the Bible talks about hospitality. But he pointed out that the Greek word for um, hospitality is philozenia, which means love of stranger. Now we notice that's the opposite of xenophobia, which is fear of stranger. So there is something in the Christian community where we are called to love strangers. That's central to who we are. It describes the life in Christ. Paul then tells the church how to respond to people and to situations where we've been wronged. That happens, doesn't it? He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Of course, this is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 5, Luke 6. When Jesus originally told his disciples that they should pray for those who persecute them and do good to those who mistreat them, that was revolutionary. This was was an idea that was unique in the ancient world. So Paul is certainly looking to Jesus here. They have that in common. Paul challenges the church to be present with those in a variety of different situations. Rejoicing or mourning, we see that in verse 15. Our modern word empathy is literally the idea of stepping inside the shoes of another person, feeling what they feel and experiencing what they experience. That's the kind of thing that it seems like Paul has in mind here. As a people who consistently shed our own status for the sake of others, Christians are to be willing to associate with people of low position. That's verse 16. And then Paul continues with this specific focus on how to respond to those who have hurt you, to persecution, and deals with the issue of vengeance. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Of course, that as far as it depends on you is really important, isn't it? (laughs) Origen writes, the apostle gives a very balanced command because he knows perfectly well that peace depends on both parties and the other party may well be hostile and block peace. What he asks is that our minds should always be ready for peace. The passage goes on to tell the church not to take revenge but to leave room for God's wrath. That's a kind of a strange statement, isn't it? Well, the reason here is basically letting go of vengeance, of the need for vengeance. So instead, the calling is not to take revenge, but to feed and to provide water for your enemy who is in need. And Paul says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, this is radical and counterintuitive, but it's exactly in line with what Jesus told his disciples to do. This is a complete disorientation, a complete change, a a different than what we would expect. Why? Because we want to get people back for the wrongs they've done to us. (laughs) We want to lash out. We want to fix the world through anger and domination. This passage says that Christians need to find a different way of dealing with that need for justice that stirs in us. The longing for justice, the longing for rightness is good. And Paul is not telling the church to ignore evil or to act like it's not evil. Evil is very real. So why do we not avenge evil? Because God has already dealt with it on the cross. Evil has been exhausted a new world has been opened up. Now, I am a man of many quirks. And one of them is I have an instant and negative reaction to certain artificial food smells. So let me give you an example. If I'm in a car with poor circulation and someone opens a bag of flavored Doritos, for example, I have to suppress like a gag reflex. I have this same reaction with gum. I I hate gum. I just, I can't stand the sight of it. I can't stand the smell of it. I know I'm weird. I'm strange. I'm sorry. It's the second podcast. You're already hearing these things about me. But one day, a few years ago, Ashley brought home some gum for our daughter. And my family knows that I'm sensitive to this stuff and they're kind to me. So they they tolerate this stuff in me. And on that particular day, Lucy, all she did is open the package. She didn't even start chewing the gum. But immediately that smell of gum was throughout our entire small house. So I tried to hide. I went into another room and tried to contain the smell. She sealed the gum in a plastic bag. She put it far away, but it was still in the house. So I quickly had to turn on like an essential oil diffuser thing. I opened all the doors. I turned on the fans. The gum had been dealt with, but the remnant smell was still in circulation. What the heck does this have to do with what Paul says? Well, our God has dealt with evil on the cross, and yet we keep trying to live by it. What revenge does is it keeps it in circulation. It keeps the evil that's been dealt with present and lingering instead of realizing it's been put away. Paul is saying that we live this different kind of way, peace, loving our enemies, because evil has been dealt with decisively by God so we can live into this new reality. This new reality is strange to us, though. Paul seems to think that it's possible to forgive someone who isn't sorry for what they've done, 
that we can release the offense. And if we continue to show love to them, it opens the way to remorse and perhaps even repentance and maybe reconciliation. Now, it's important to say there are times where an offense requires significant boundaries. Love sometimes looks like distance, but it's still love. In quoting Proverbs 25, Paul says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does that even mean? Well, some believe that Proverbs is saying that a person's kindness will lead to further judgment on their enemies. So if you're kind to them, then in the future, your enemy is going to be judged even more harshly. So you're getting back at them. But that doesn't really seem to be consistent with the way of Jesus. Proverbs seems to be saying that something about the burning coals being heaped onto an enemy's head has a positive effect. We don't know what it is, but Augustine pointed out that the the challenge of heaping burning coals on somebody's head is, is really difficult in light of the way of Jesus. We've been told to love our enemy. So he suggests that the coals have a purifying effect. What does that mean? When we refuse revenge, we are refusing to allow our future lives to be determined by the evil that someone else has done. And our good towards the offender may actually have a purifying effect. But at the very least, we keep it out of circulation. We keep the revenge and the vengeance and the evil of this world out of circulation. We live by a new world. Paul is saying that we allow God's anger to work, which is a way of saying that we trust God to bring people to their senses, to see their own folly and wickedness. It's so freeing to know I don't have to fix people. It is God who convicts hearts and heals people. And I'm thankful for that because just as God is patient with others, he's been patient with me. Now we're going to fail to keep Paul's exhortations here. But the good news is that God remains steadfast, even when we don't. Forgiveness is the only thing we can do that allows for a different outcome. One of the things you'll notice as you follow Jesus is even as you still have that reflex to lash out at the offender, there's also another reflex that emerges, a holy reflex, the one to forgive. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.